fun with last week's podcast and now this week, man. Just the topics keep adding up. So let's get into this, dude. I'm excited. Right. So let's start off top with the recent news, which Alex Grinch going on the Zooms to talk with media, uh, like literally just got done like a half hour before you and I started talking. And there were a couple of things that he talked about that I wanted to bring up. And the first one was the guys that he chose to highlight and his philosophy behind the guys going away. Because I've always been interested in how does a coordinator go about talking to his players one year after he's had him in his system? What does he expect? So I'm going to read this quote aloud and we'll dig into it. I've been very pleased. One of the challenges to our guys, as well as we told these guys, we don't want to coach the same dudes we coached in 2019. Don't ask us to coach the same guys. So if you come back here with the same issues or any of the same flaws, you haven't taken advantage of your time away. You haven't taken advantage of the meetings. You haven't taken advantage of the walkthroughs and our time together once we got back together. And then he went on to highlight the guys that he thought were actually taking advantage of that. And at the top of the list is one Brendan Radley Hiles. That'd be Buki. Yeah, man, you know that I'm a Buki truther. But, like, how do you take how Alex Grinch feels about Buki? Uh, well, I think that, honestly, it's been shown to me through actions more than words that Grinch, he really does like Brendan Radley Hiles, like I've seen the guy constantly pick Buki's mind after he comes off the field. And I think quotes aside or not, I mean, I, I feel like this is a guy who he just gets ragged on so much. Right. And I, I feel like it's, it's exciting for me to, to see Grinch not only say like, Hey, this guy's, this guy is really going the extra mile and he's trying to do everything possible to get better. But, I mean, he's, he's saying that, and then he's putting it into action by trying to make this guy a leader, trying to make this guy part of his plan in game action or in practice. And so, for me, I, I feel like the Grinch-Brennan Riley-Hiles relationship is fascinating, and it's one that's definitely going to pay off if and when there's a season this year. I, I personally know that, obviously, you're a big bookie guy. I really like the guy as well, and I just feel like, He's gone through the ups and downs that any young college football player is going to expect. It was just that pedigree before he arrived on campus that kind of caught up to him. And so going into this year, now that he's a quote-unquote upperclassman, and Alex Grinch has said, look, this guy is really starting to get it, I'm very excited to see what he can put together. And with Grinch as kind of his leader, I think he's headed for something really special. Yeah, man, I'm with you on this in that – Buki has gotten better since he got to Oklahoma and that gets yes. lost because people expected him to be great right away. Five-star billing, played a lot of corner at one of the best high school football programs in the country. I mean, IMG Academy is in USA Today's not only top 25, but the number one team in the country this year yet again. And after the stops that he had at Calabasas and then on all the way over to Florida to end up at Oklahoma after it looked like Nebraska was going to get in there to get him. He ends up not only coming to Oklahoma, but playing a position that he had not played in high school and was really learning on the fly. Got taken advantage of as a true freshman out in that slot. Never forget David Sills lining up over the top of him and Will Greer immediately seeing that and saying, okay, we're, we're running the hot route now over, over the little guy. And then last yeah. year, right? I mean, we're talking about not just a pick against South Dakota, but a pick six and then a huge play to break up what could have been a game changer for Texas Christian, and he's on the tight end. He's on Pro Wells, and they wanted to do what David Sills had done, and he was able to break up that pass. In addition to being really the only guy that Grinch could trust at that nickel spot, and this year it's pivotal once again because Justin Harrington is hurt. You don't know what you got in Trey Norwood, but I feel like if we were allowed to, if we were allowed to think about Trey Norwood as a corner, as opposed to a nickel, that might be helpful. Though that doesn't necessarily speak volumes about what you think you have at cornerback. So from there, like the other guys that you want to highlight, Deshaun White, right? Brian Asamoah, which shocked me to a degree. Patrick Fields, who we know about. You know, like those guys are going to be Trey Brown, the backbone of his defense. And I think all of those except Brian Asamoah, I think we would have pinpointed, but with the injury to Caleb Kelly, 
We've been openly talking about who's going to play that will linebacker spot, and it sounds like Brian Asamoah is making it his, though David Igwebu has moved over to inside as well, along with guys like Robert Barnes. Yeah, and I'm really excited about what Brian can accomplish this season, but I think really the focal point here and what will ultimately determine Brian Asamoah's success is the success of one Deshaun White. And for Alex Grinch to kind of recognize what Deshaun is accomplishing in practice, not only from a play perspective, but from a leadership perspective, is a big deal for me. I mean, look, Kenneth Murray leaving the program, I, I still feel like that's a loss that still may be getting a little bit overlooked. I mean, the guy was obviously an incredible vocal leader. He was also very talented as an inside linebacker, but he was also a very good pass rusher. And so in three facets of the game, in a way, they lost a primary contributor. And, and Deshaun White, well, I don't think he'll need to fill all three. He's got to do at least two. And, mm. and so for him to be showing early signs that he can do that, that is very important, especially for the future success of Alex Grinch and, of course, Brian Osmoe, because then he's allowed to feed off the success of Deshaun White and maybe play a little bit freer, which I think Brian's probably the more – freestyle kind of athlete you play at linebacker whereas Deshaun you really bet on him to provide that structure that the inside linebacker position needs so it was very encouraging for me to see Grinch identify two inside linebackers in his system that are practicing at a quote different level especially when they're probably the two main guys that will be contributing this season with some depth issues kind of perceived there some new guys like Robert Barnes and Jamal Morris learning the position so those two are going to be leaned on heavily, and I'm very excited about the fact they are getting identified early on as guys who are accepting the responsibility and taking it upon themselves to get better. Yeah, I would follow, fall into that as well. I mean, I, I want these guys to be great, if nothing else, but you also want to see the maturity come along. I mean, this is going to be Pat Fields' team, Trey Brown's team, and uh, Pat Buki's team, but watching a guy like Deshaun White and what he's going to have to actually carry is no you know it's no different than what Kenneth Murray Jr. had to do last year and I I was right about Kenneth Murray way back when he was true freshman and folks were saying hey look I don't think this guy has it and his junior season turned into not just a great season but vaulted him into the first round of the NFL draft I'm going to throw this to you because I'm going to already put it out there I think that Ibuki has a great season we're talking about him in very much the same sort of way now, his height's going to hold him back. We understand that. You know what? I want to see what he has to throw down in the 40, but I think he's a day-two guy even today, and I think you know that five-star billing is going to follow him around, but being 5'8 to 5'10 isn't going to help him. So, one, do you think that Boogies could be that good? And two, do you think there's a first-round draft pick on this team, which kind of leads me into, well, Ronnie Perkins, but I want to let you answer the question first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Perkins it could be a whole podcast in his own right. But as for Boothy Riley Hiles, who, of course, another guy you could talk for hours and hours about, you ask the question, okay, is this guy an NFL draft pick? I think we talk a lot about, okay, the, some of those interceptions that he created, right, last season or before, but also, obviously, some of the coverage mishaps that opposing teams have capitalized on when it comes to him. But for me, the biggest indicator that I have that Brendan Radley-Hiles could be a future NFL draft pick is a performance that literally no one discusses when it comes to him. But for me, it was probably one of, if not the biggest performance he put together all year. And that was the game against Oklahoma State, hmm. right? Where this guy is playing the nickelback position against a zone stretch running scheme. Chuba Hubbard is the number one running back in the country, no question about it, and looking campaign for the Heisman. And Brendan Radley-Hiles is sitting there at the nickelback position. He must set the edge and contain the best running back in the nation, and what does he do? He puts up double-digit tackles and basically shuts down an Oklahoma State offense that hoped to run strictly through a zone-stretch scheme going right at him. And that is what signals to me a guy who understands the ultimate responsibility of not just pass coverage but the run game and what he must do fundamentally to uphold the other systematic influences of his defense. And I feel like if you really dissect a performance like that, then you add in some of those other indicators, right? Some of the interceptions he's been able to create, some of the big pass breakups. The tools are all there. And so for me, Brandon Radley Hiles going into his junior season with the leadership of Alex Grinch definitely has the ability this year to put together something that gets his resume worthy of an NFL draft selection. I don't know when that would be. 
I still think we can all agree that maybe first, second round is a little too high to project right now. But, I mean, you got to feel like if he can put together some tackling performances like that game against Oklahoma State with some of those other interceptions or turnovers that he's created in the past, fourth round, fifth round could be a reasonable ceiling for him. And if, if the rumors are true that this guy is practicing at a different level, I think the biggest quote for me in Alex Grinch's thing today was, I see more commitment to technique when it comes to Buki Radley Hiles. If this guy just focuses on the fundamentals of the game and adds it all together with some of those standout performances he had last season, yeah, I mean, I, I think this guy is a draft selection. I feel like he could eventually put together some very solid career numbers in the NFL. So from there, I want to talk about the downside to Oklahoma, which Grinch also acknowledged. Our depth has our depth chart has not been the same for one single day since I got here. That's just been the way that it is. And now we get to add to that Kennedy Brooks opting out in 2020. You still don't know what you're getting or not getting to that degree in Trajan Bridges, Ramondre Stevenson, and Ronnie Perkins. And again, Grinch, who does not give out a whole lot of praise, really was giving out praise for Ronnie Perkins, who is ESPN freshman All-American. I think he's the next dude that we would all tap as perhaps the best chance to be a first-round draft selection on that defensive side of the ball. However, how much is that going to be contingent on how much he plays this year? And do you expect to see these guys play more than four or five games this season, Colin? As things stand right now, the way that the NCAA has kind of been hesitant to address a lot of these issues, like, there are still guys across the country waiting on transfer decisions and their waivers are not. And, and so suspensions for me in the NCAA are definitely issues that are just going to get overlooked because it's easy to just turn away that and say, well, we're going to uphold our decision. For that being said, I think Ronnie Perkins is definitely going to face some sort of suspension this year. It's probably going to be a good amount of the games of this modified season. And then, as a result, while I would agree with you, Ronnie Perkins is this team's best opportunity to get a first-round draft selection. He's also, for me, a guy that's definitely going to be back following this year. I just don't, I just don't know if he's going to have the film and the resume to put together enough of a standing that gets him into the first 32 picks. And that's not a knock at him at all. I still think it's incredibly ridiculous that he's suspended, but that's a whole other tangent. For me, it's just about opportunity. Right. I mean, there, there are going to be guys in this limited season that will eventually separate themselves because they get to play 10 games. And, and for Perkins, if he plays five, six, I mean, it's just not enough, at least from a logical perspective. So for me, because of the way things stand right now and because of the way the NCAA is currently operating in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic and some of the decisions it has to make, I just feel like Ronnie Perkins is going to be back following the season, and then that's going to be the time where he really proves that he's a first-round NFL draft pick. What he lacks is buzz, right? We all knew about Chase Young going into the 2019 season. You don't have that sort of buzz around Ronnie Perkins, so if he were to perhaps put together a six-game season of 12 to 15 sacks, I don't know that it would get the same amount of attention as – Perhaps he would have last year or even the next year. But that said, we're talking about right now presently two Power 5 leagues that aren't going to be able to play football. And we even have ESPN draft analysts like Todd McShay asking for showcases for some of these players to go, citing guys like Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and Joe Burrow, who all needed that year to show the NFL who they were and be number one overall draft picks. To the question of depth at running back, though, no Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon, grad transfers to Ohio State, Ramondre Stevenson is out with suspension. Marcus Major needs to be 1B or 1A. You know, you, I don't expect much out of Seth McGowan, but that's because he's a true freshman. And then is TJ Pledger going to be the guy that everybody thought he was going to be when he got to this university in 2018? I mean, it's another guy that kind of parallels Buki coming out of the same place, coming with the same reputation, and hasn't quite lived up to our expectations, though I think if he was a three-star recruit like Kennedy Brooks, everybody would feel a little bit differently about him. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, for me, 
number one, this pressure now falls on the shoulders of TJ Pledger. Like this is an opportunity for him to definitely prove the ranking that he received as a recruit coming out of high school. And I, I'm confident in what he's going to be able to do this season. I think he's a guy, I kind of prefaced this before the year and obviously all the hectic things that came with it. He's a guy that could definitely solidify himself as a very viable kind of third down back option. But now, I mean, he's not going to be the third down back. He's first, second, and third. Hmm. And then when you go from there, I think think Marcus Major, all the praise that he received coming out of high school is going to be incredibly intriguing to add to the storyline that he puts together this year because that's RB2 in my opinion. And the big thing there is the injury situation. I mean, uh, an injury like he sustained at that specific position is not something to be overlooked. And as a result, I need to know, okay, I know he has the talent. I know he has the mindset. But does he have the physical capability to just go and carry the rock X number of times and be effective because at the end of the day, man, I mean, no Kennedy Brooks, no Ramondre Stevenson for a while. This is going to be a major task, especially when you're asking these running backs to kind of take some of the pressure off the shoulders of a first year starting quarterback that gets incredibly overlooked, but I mean, these guys are going to have to help Spencer Rattler ease into things. And so TJ Pledger, Marcus major, and then Seth McGowan, from all accounts, I mean, McGowan has looked very good in some of the off-season workouts and camps, but, I mean, he's still got to adjust to college football. And so, as a result, I'm looking at Pledger as RB1. I'm looking at Major as a guy who hopefully can be RB2, despite some of the things he's dealt with injury-wise. And then you go from there, and you hope you get something out of Seth McGowan or anyone else who can play that running back position. Maybe we get to see Jeremiah Hall rush the ball. I would be down for that. But overall, man, the loss of Kennedy Brooks, Obviously a major deal, but I don't blame him one bit for doing what's best in his opinion for his family. And as a result, man, these ball carriers are going to have to step up in his absence. Yo, man, I'm here for the Mikey Henderson experience. If they want to throw Brian Darby back there who played some running back in high school. But if they even wanted to go and get Shane Witter and throw him over there because he was able to do some Wildcat stuff coming out of North Carolina, I'm here for it. I think it's going to be hey, – f- hey. Go ahead. Hey, Braden Willis, man. Braden Willis did everything, and he was the water guy for Arlington Martin. Let me see B-Will get the ball a couple of times. I'd be down. I am here for it. Or, you know, to hell with it. Just run empty. Just, 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 just run empty. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's put two tight ends out there. Let's go big at the numbers with Rambo and Weiss and just see what would make it do what it do, baby. All right. So, I want to go from that to Kelvin Gilliam who is expected to make his announcement on August 22nd as to where he is going to commit to play. And this is a guy that's been on Oklahoma's radar, it feels like, for like two years and has been a dude that we felt like is in Oklahoma lane for some time. But how do you feel about it going into the final days? Yeah, so anyone who's listening to this, make sure you guys stay tuned because I am actually flying out tomorrow to Richmond to shoot this kid's commitment. For CBS Sports HQ, you guys will be able to watch it live on CBS Sports HQ around 7.45 Eastern time. That's when he will be announcing. And as for where I feel things stand, just getting to know this kid, I really do like where Oklahoma stands for him. I think Penn State's a very real contender. I think the Nittany Lions have done a great job of recruiting him. And to be quite honest with you, man, I think that this is a guy who is just certainly deserving of all of this recognition. Like, Recruiting aside, Kelvin Gilliam is one of the best young men that I have ever had the opportunity to meet and deal with on the recruiting trail. So I'm very excited to get out there. But as to what will happen once I get out there, I think Oklahoma is very much a player here. I would call them the leader, but Penn State is going to fight this thing out until the final minute. And then South Carolina is in that top three. And who knows what the Gamecocks are able to pull out towards the very end. And so as a result, this is a race that's been fascinating to follow. I think it could go in Oklahoma's favor. I would put it a very high percentage chance. But at the end of the day, man, this guy is one of the best defensive ends in the nation for a reason, and he will get the attention as such until he finally makes the thing official. Yeah, man, being able to add him to Ethan Downs and Clayton Smith and Isaiah Coe, mm. that, 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 that's tasty. It's tasty. And along with that, you know, let's say that he does choose to commit to Oklahoma – 
Yo, man, uh, there's this little thing called the Sooner Summit that is supposed to take place here in the present future. I know Caleb Williams is heading up this thing, but talking about some of the kids that we expect to join him on what we can, I think, qualify as an unofficial visit because they're not, you know, it's a dead period. But it would be interesting to see guys like Caleb Williams and or Tristan Lay and or commits like Mario Williams just to throw some names against the wall, choose to join him. What's your read on this situation? Yeah, this is fascinating to follow, obviously. I mean, for Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, these guys to put something like this together, that something that I don't think has ever really been done before. I mean, you could probably check me on that, but this is something that feels like it's it's kind of a revolutionary moment in college football recruiting for major commitments in a class to host other guys that they want as targets and get them on campus and just show them around. I mean, this is something that's incredibly meaningful for OU football recruiting, and as a result, I, I think there's definitely going to be some major news that comes of it. I, I think, obviously, if you go to OUinsider.com, the VIP board is loaded with notes as to who we expect. You mentioned Tristan Lee is definitely one of them, and that's huge because, obviously, Tristan Lee is a guy who heavily pursued by Clemson, LSU, Penn State. The list goes on and on. You always felt like if Oklahoma had the chance to get him around the program, that could help the Sooners in their standing with a five-star lineman who, in all seriousness, is one of the best offensive tackles I've seen in person in evaluation periods. And for him to be not only around the program, but to be around his potential quarterback, some of his other potential teammates, that's something that could really boost the Sooners moving forward and, and could help them potentially land this guy's commitment. Some other guys, I mean, obviously they get floated around, like Kamar Wheaton, the five-star running back. Davion Bird, offensive tackle out of Duncanville. That's a guy who I actually talked to a couple people down in the old DFW region. And, I mean, that dude, that dude could seriously be considering Oklahoma now, whereas SMU kind of seemed the heavy lean. This Sooner Summit could really help the 2021 recruiting class take shape for Oklahoma, one that has to, if we're being honest with ourselves, because other programs right now have a ton of momentum on the recruiting trail. I think OU is hoping that this will provide the boost necessary to get back on track. At this point, anything that gets Kamar Wheaton back on the campus is going to make Oklahoma fans tremendously happy, especially with the news of Kennedy Brooks. But you take a look at their scholarship distribution chart, and you can see that I'm not. It's barren, man. It's you're, we're not used to seeing that at the running back position, and knowing how quickly these guys can go down, I I have my suspicions about how deep they could be and you need to be able to add quality there especially in a year in which we don't expect Oklahoma to take more than one tailback and to be able to add a guy like Savion Bird and or Tristan Lay is not only going to help vault you into the top 10 of the recruiting rankings but could actually give you an opportunity to shoot for number five there which is kind of where I want to take this conversation to a to a degree but before we get there I want to talk about the bubble all right and I have my issues with the college football bubble because, one, I believe that college football players should be paid for their efforts, and two, you're actually not going to be able to defend this if you go into court, and it looks like that's exactly what's going to happen. So Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated wrote a piece about this, about the only bubble in college football today is at UNC, and now it looks like it's going to be at Notre Dame as well, and I want to give you a couple of paragraphs from his piece that I think are interesting here, get your take on them. College football's own leaders have spoken out in the past over such an arrangement. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott was most vocal about it, declaring that in-person classes were a requirement for on-campus athletics. He called it a gating issue, with several of his colleagues feeling the same. That includes Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbick, who when asked about the issue in May said, The students have to be on campus. Three months later, his own university has shut down classes for two weeks while the football program continues training. Is that right? Is that wrong? Depends on who you ask. He asked a former NFL agent, Ellen Zavian, who is a law professor at George Washington now, and she made it very clear. Look, the decades-old argument of their student-athletes before their students is about to fall apart. She said, you ever hear... Your actions are so deafening that I can't hear what you're saying. This will be used to say that schools are treating athletes essentially like employees and they should be getting hazard pay. Now, from that, she's right. Second thing is, 
dying on the hill of shut it down for football is not necessarily what everybody wants because there are people that make six million dollars, right? Lincoln Riley. And then there are people that make 35 grand just trying to man the ticket office. I don't like the bubble because I think one, they're not being paid, and two, I don't think it's an actual bubble, dog. Like the difference between the NBA and the NHL and college football is these dudes don't all live together. Like, we act as if these players are staying in Headington Hall at Oklahoma all together. That's not even happening at UNC or Notre Dame. They live off campus, and they socialize, and dare I say it, they fornicate. So, like, what, what, where do you think the line is with what, they call, what they're calling a bubble? Because all it's going to take is one dude. But I'm sure that they've been read the riot act on this. It ain't going to stop anything because they're their most hot to trot as they are at any other age right now. And watching how these commissioners and athletic directors who had told the U.S. vice president, like Bob Bosley to Mike Pence was, if we don't have students on campus, we won't play football. All I can look at you and tell you is just you're lying to me right now. And that's even worse than you being hypocritical to me, is to lie to me and say, wait a second, well, what had happened was, because you're not going to be able to defend this. I mean, is, where are you on this situation? I, I, okay. To put it bluntly, the concept of creating a college football bubble is incredibly ridiculous, and it's just not feasible. I mean, this is never going to happen when you're dealing with 20-something kids who are in college and they're still going about other activities throughout the day. I mean, I think we all understand that the NBA bubble has worked so well because it is literally closed off. These guys are only around other NBA players and the administrators or staff members that are helping making this thing possible. In college football, these guys are spread out throughout the entire college town. They obviously have friends and family out side of the program that they're going to want to go see and they have to still go grocery shopping or get haircuts or, or go about their business in everyday life like they do not have the facilities that these nba players have and so for me i, I just think this conversation is incredibly hilarious because you're just never going to be able to pull something like this off i don't really care what program you are or where you're located and so as a result look you can bring up any argument you want, right? Like this is ridiculous because these guys should be getting paid and you're using them like employees. Or you can bring up the fact that it's just never going to work if students are on campus as well. For me, it's just never going to work because you're just dealing with college athletes. And at the end of the day, they still have to go be people. And, and as a result, man, I don't know. I just feel like any program that's kidding themselves, they're going to be able to pull this off, whether it be North Carolina or Notre Dame is going to be finding a quick and harsh reality here very soon because these kids, man, as much as you want to stop them from doing anything else other than football, at the end of the day, we call them student-athletes. They're also just people in general, and that reality will be realized as soon as they try and put together these bubble type of situations. That's where I'm at, man. Like, I understand that you're going to try to get this rent check from each one of these students for housing that they're not going to use. You're going to cash it, and then you're going to be like, our bad, we thought we could do it when you're lying to us. That's one thing. But it also means that you're probably going to be able to start your college football season when you want to start your college football season. Then it's a question about whether or not you're going to be able to end it on uh, the right tone. So, look, I'm going to keep watching this, and I I think I've been pretty right about this the whole time, but we'll, we'll watch it. Like, all right, so... The Big Ten is a dumpster fire. And now it's a fascinating circus of a dumpster fire. Because we got stuff like, (laughs) we got a report from Jeff Snook that there's a rogue set of Big Ten schools, six of them, that want to go and play against each other two times apiece, home and away, in an abbreviated season. And right now, it's like four teams that are in, right? But Wisconsin and Michigan are not. Obviously, Ohio State is leading the way on this because everybody there wants to play football. And yet, publicly, Gene Smith has been saying, we're not playing football in the winter. The spring is what we're going to try to move toward. 
Meanwhile, we got Randy Wade, Sean Wade's dad, who was planning to fly from Florida to Chicago to go to the Rosemont office in Illinois to go and beat down the door and say, yo, have you not heard us? Did you not see Justin Fields' petition? Did you not hear him on national radio saying, I'm going to be heartbroken if I find out that three other conferences are playing and we're not playing. So first, this idea of a rogue season where you got six teams that will play each other for, I got to believe, a fictitious trophy so that what? So that the kids can get good film? Okay, cool. So that the kids might have an opportunity to compete for a national championship? If you're Ohio State, maybe, depending on how the committee wants to see that. But like, Colin, I have never, ever, ever heard of anything like this. But that's also one of the reasons I love college football. It's bizarre. It's weird. It's unpredictable. And people are just going to do what they want to do. Proof is Oklahoma State claims a national championship that they didn't win. You know, we have teams that will rank themselves in the top 25 going 6-6. Six and six. Like, we will claim national champions that aren't ours to claim. And yet, we can also have a rogue set of schools that would think about perhaps trying to put together a season in the fall for the, fake, for the sake of putting a season together in the fall when right now you're also telling your commits, hey, look, stick with us. You're going to get to play football for real in January, February, and March. Like, what do you think about this? Uh, well, I think, <laughs> if we're being really honest with each other, I think, number one, it gets the kids film, and number two, it gets the school's money. And that's why this is even on the table because it's obvious to me that a lot of programs cannot bear the thought of not having some sort of influx of money, attention, recruiting momentum, and of course, the natural boost that come with NFL draft picks following a season. Now, if they do pull it off, I will watch every game. Like, I will refuse to turn it off every single week. I don't care if it's Iowa-Nebraska for the second time around and if it's 6-3 in the third quarter. I will be on the edge of my seat just because of some of the implications that a six-team league provides. Now, look, my biggest thing right now is I I feel like I really understand this from the perspective of opportunity, right? I mean, that's why Mr. Wade is flying out there, supposedly, deal with the Big Ten. That's why Justin Fields is starting up a petition. Because I'll be honest with you, man, I had Ohio State win a national title this year. Mm-hmm. And now that that's gone, I mean, that, that's a massive deal squandered by people who apparently have not really kept others in the light of the situation. That's, for me, the biggest problem that comes from this. Is I think we're really learning a ton about some of the leadership positions in college football and specifically within these two conferences. And how, I don't want to say ignorant they are to other people's thoughts and opinions, but really just consumed with their own. And as a result, man, if this leads to a six-team league that kind of spikes their decisions, I'm all for it. Because I don't know how feasible that is. I don't know what would come of it. I really don't know how it would impact the rest of college football. But if it means that they are able to enlighten some of these leaders and make them realize that college football is a team sport both on and off the field, then by all means, go for it, and I hope we get a better result from it. Hey, man, if everybody's going to keep playing, I I understand why you don't want to be the people not playing football. I totally get that. Yeah. I also get how the money is really showing us who people are. Because, yeah... It's all talk in April and May, but when it comes time to actually do something, the Big Ten said, no, we're not going to play. And there's also this thought that the real nefarious take, Larry Scott and and Kevin Warren made the decision not because it was in the interest of public health, but because it was in the interest of stopping players organizing, which is wild to me because you've undermined your argument if you are the Big, if you, excuse me, if you are the Big 12 the ACC, or the SEC. And that's not going to exempt the Pac-12 or the Big Ten from any legislation that might come down, especially as we're having name, image, and likeness stuff that is being legislated as we speak in Washington, D.C. So as I started this segment, it's a cluster, dog. But on the same front here, 
I'm really interested in the top of the recruiting rankings and how this is reflected, right? Because whether it's coincidence or not, Alabama has been able to keep playing football. Alabama has also added to its growing tally of 2021 recruits. In April, they're ranked number 55 in the country with one commit in Deontay Lawson. In August, they're number two in the country and two points behind an Ohio State program that I thought was going to have an insurmountable lead. Because at one point, we're talking about a 60-point gap between them and number two in the rankings. And yet and still, I'm looking at this and I'm going... Maybe there's something to be said here about the folks that are benefiting from being able to play football and the continued optics of how people will see the Big Ten or the Pac-12 in the future about the the zealots, all folks who think that we should be playing football anyway, are probably going to hold a grudge against those two leagues, which also puts the Big 12 in a very interesting position because I was ready to see this league dissolved. And I'm still kind of ready to see this league dissolved. But message board, RJ, is looking at this situation going, hey, there's there's room for poaching here. Nebraska, Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State. Y'all, y'all wanna y'all wanna join up? Y'all wanna make a league? Y'all wanna y'all wanna go knock down the SEC's door? Y'all wanna y'all wanna go Bigfoot this thing? Cause we can. Like what do you what do you think about that? No, well, the idea of a reconfiguration is always fun to discuss, right? Especially when it comes to thought of Oklahoma or Texas getting to play Ohio State or Nebraska again every season. And I personally would love to see Lincoln Riley walk out to a, a, an absolute whiteout stadium out there in Happy Valley. Penn State, I mean, some of these atmospheres added to the Big 12 Conference would be huge, right? And it would add even more notoriety as the conference kind of struggled with dealing with the natural power in the SEC or the ACC, who's kind of capitalized on Clemson's momentum. I think, obviously, this is all a big speculation because we've heard time and again, hey, there's interest, but it's not going to really happen. There's interest, but it can't be pulled off this year. So my hope is that eventually the Big 12 Conference finds a way to finally capitalize on some of the blunders that have taken this season and beforehand and eventually expand this conference into something that's really taken seriously, like I would love Ohio State, Oklahoma. I would love OU, Nebraska again every season. I would love to see Texas, Penn State, I, Iowa, Iowa State as a conference game. Like those are big matchups that would really benefit every program in that quote unquote super conference. Whether it happens or not, obviously we'll see. I'm not going to buy a ton of stock in it right now, just given some of the ups and downs we've already been through. But I'm always going to be here for blue blood programs, big name programs in the world of college football going at each other every single weekend. And eventually every single outcome has an impact on some sort of standing. So I hope so, man. I, I, one of the things I want to see at some point is OU Nebraska again. I know that's coming up very soon. I was hoping and praying we get it this year. I don't think we will, but man, I really would love to see that happen someday. So one more topic I want to get to before we get to the top 25 and the 247 sports uh, rankings without the Pac-12 and the Big Ten a part of it is Lane Kiffin having an interesting comment about transfers. So I'm going to read this paragraph ESPN to you and the quote that he gave to SEC through the SEC network about what he thinks is a good idea. Kiffin says players whose conferences have decided to postpone fall sports should be free to transfer without penalty. Kids are having their schools or their conference excuse me, deciding to shut down so they can't play, and a lot of them have a lot of money on the line with the next level, or they just want to play their last year, Kiffin said. So it's really unfortunate that the NCAA is not allowing them to transfer and be eligible immediately. We're able to, or excuse me, we're, we're being told that they won't even get a waiver process going, so I feel really bad for those kids. It's not their fault. Why can't they come play somewhere that doesn't make any sense? Lane Kiffin, king of tampering, number one. Number two, even invoking a waiver process gets even closer to my contention. College football is pro football. It's just pro football where we don't play pay the labor, right? In the same way that folks will say, hey, I think women's soccer players should get paid. 
I'm saying if they generate revenue, they should. Like, we're not talking about you taking money out of a place where you don't have any. We're talking about the $10 billion in excess that college football generates and the way that it really does create a foundation for your entire athletic program. And you don't actually need to have sports that aren't revenue generating in your NCAA model. Because there's a different way to do that. You just need to separate football, especially among the top 30 or 40 programs that can support themselves from what we're doing here. But this idea of a waiver process, I think, is also wild interesting because that would that would mean that there's demand, right? Like anybody that's ever been in a fantasy football league will tell you about the waiver process and you'll watch a guy that you claimed on waivers go before you because somebody else's turn or, or they got there quicker. So what do you think about this idea? Uh, perhaps Justin Fields transferring back to Georgia or to Ole Miss, which I think would be wild interesting, or Sean Wade transferring to LSU, or any of these, again, message board RJ takes. Yeah, I can already tell that Lane is starting his campaign to land Justin Fields and whatever that would look like. But I, I can tell you, man, look, this is just so hard to discuss because – even the concept would get everyone's hopes up, right? I mean, college football fans, players, and coaches would love to see some of the outstanding talent in the Pac-12 or in the Big Ten go elsewhere and have the opportunity to play on new teams this season. I just, I just feel like we, if we're going to even discuss this, we have to understand some of the other outcomes that would take place. Like, I mean, we're talking about guys who – would get essentially recruited over, basically losing their shot at something. We're talking about any number of scholarship issues when it comes to, number one, spots on a roster, number two, how university going to provide that money for these players. So I, I feel like, number one, I should say, I would be all for this idea if it's able to be pulled off. I just don't know how feasible it is. Now, I would love more than anything to see, like, Penny Sewell as a left tackle for OU football, or I would love to see Texas add some big name receiver out there. Hey, I would love to see Kansas with Keaton Slovis this year. I mean, get Lane or get Les Miles a quarterback and see what he can do. But at the end of the day, man, it, it, I would be all for a concept like this because it would allow the kids an opportunity to play this year. And like Lane is saying, go after some of the money that's on the table for them. But then you have to understand that in order for these kids to get the money that's on the table for them, these schools would have to take away the money that they have on their own table. So it's a very intricate and, and complicated concept, but it's, it's able to be put together and we can get Justin Fields to Lane Kiffin. Hey, man, I'm all, I'm all for it. Man, I'm here for fantasy football, college. I mean, I, I finished like third in my fantasy football league last year, college football, and I'm in a – I'm in. For those of you that know of Blinken Riley on Twitter, I'm in the fantasy football league with him. And yeah, his team always wrecks, but I always feel pretty good about it. The idea of having a Panay Sewell or Keaton Slovis going to KU, not so much for me. Because, <laughs> look, Les Miles wants to run a fullback. Like a, a, an honest-to-God Jacob Hester fullback. You're wasting Keaton Slovis there. You would have to go to the air raid. All right, You would have to actually take advantage of his skill set. I don't think the Mad Hatter is the guy to do that. But that's also one of the things that's so interesting and fun about talking about these things. One of the reasons that I really love talking in this way about college football. Okay, let's do the top 25 on 247 Sports with the re-ranking without the Big Ten, without the Pac-12. I know to the chagrin of many Ohio State fans that actually give a dog on, but like, is this going to change Oklahoma's ranking was the question that I had, right? So number 25, we got SMU. Number 24, we got Pittsburgh. Number 23, Baylor. Number 22, Kentucky. Number 21, Miami. And number 20, Texas Christian. What do you think about those first five there? Uh, obviously, TCU is kind of my squad. Mm -hmm. If anyone has kept mm -hmm. up with our podcast, mm -hmm. I'm a big Horn Frog guy this year, so I'm there with TCU at number 20. I also feel like Miami at number 21, that one's fascinating to me because Miami, Eric King coming in, what can they do within a quarterback? I know that they've had some issues with some opt-outs, but we'll see what happens. Baylor, Kentucky, Pitt, I'm all for those guys being in the rankings. And 25 SMU, I love what SMU is accomplishing as a program right now. 
So I'm for the Mustangs getting into that final slot. Man, I'm not sure about this this Baylor or Kentucky thing. I'm gonna have to look at the rest of the rankings where I actually give a thought here. But like, I can already think of some teams that I got ranked ahead, like Memphis, for instance. Right? Uh, Kansas State has been able to show people some things. Like, they're, that's a better football team than Miami was last year. And to your point about Miami, Greg Rousseau not playing is going to hurt you, right? But you get Quincy Roach, who led the American in sacks and was Defensive Player of the Year in that conference. Bubba Bolden is ready to go, right? You get Jalen Phillips ready to go. And maybe you find something that you can do with Tate Martell that benefits the offense for once. And then, of course, with Texas Christian, yeah, we're, we're of the same mind there. Like, the futures came out from Bet Online about Big 12 Conference Champions, and we're, it was predictable with Oklahoma getting the best odds, Texas getting the second best odds, Oklahoma State getting the third best odds, but at 20-1, to 1, there was Texas Christian. I'm like, there's the value, take them. So at number 19, we got Vatek. Number 18, Iowa State. Number 17, Louisville. Number 16, Memphis. There they are. Number 15, Tennessee. What do you think about that? Uh, obviously, so I know you like Memphis, and I, if I remember correctly, you're also a Louisville guy as well. Mm-hmm. I like those two standings. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to expand on them, but I would take Iowa State at number 18 as a, a pretty good slot for them. I think the Cyclones, obviously, Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, man, those are two absolute dudes. And then they have some nice pieces around them offensively, and obviously that defense is going to be very sound. If Iowa State's offensive line can put it together, Cyclones could easily get even higher than 18, so I am fascinated by that squad. And then Tennessee at 15, man, I I think it's a good spot for the Volunteers. I'm not a huge Tennessee guy, but I also feel like they definitely should be in that kind of range. So right there, number 15, I don't blame the national guys for putting them there. Look, man, I'm on it with Memphis and Louisville. Javian Hawkins is an absolute dude. 2-2 Atwell has 4-2 speed. And Louisville is ranked like number 13th in returning production. If somebody's going to challenge Clemson, it might as well be Louisville, right? North Carolina, I understand, is getting a lot of praise, and it should, because even I would probably pick North Carolina over Louisville. But Louisville is in that Texas Christian category for me of, they're my dark horse to win the conference championship. I really, really love uh, Scott Satterfield's like putt-putt offense. It's just fun to watch. They run, a, they run a lot of that zone. They run a lot of quarterback. Uh, do you, quarterback's basically got to be a fighter pilot, right? Because that dude's going to get knocked out, and he's got to be able to make that pitch. And if you're making that pitch to Javion Hawkins or Tutu Atwell, I'm good with it. And then Memphis, you get Brady White back. He's good. He's real good, right? He's I mean, real good. Right? And then Kenneth Gainwell. He's the best tailback outside of the Power Five, and he might be one of the better back, uh, uh, tailbacks in college football 1400 yards rushing 51 catches last year for 610 yards and then Demonte Cox it's his turn right 76 catches 1276 yards last year I'm here for the Memphis experience as much as anything else and between Memphis and Southern Methodist you have worthy challengers once again to Central Florida who's going to return a Dylan Gabriel I don't know what to do with Tennessee at 15 I don't know man it it, because Marcus Callaway, Jawan Jennings, they're gone. I don't believe in the Jerry Guantanamo experience. And I don't believe in Harrison Bailey at quarterback, though that offensive line is nasty. Ty Chandler, Eric Gray. I mean, but what do you, which, 15, really? That what you got? I, I wouldn't blame anyone who wanted to put Memphis over Tennessee right now. Okay. I, I just feel like Grady White with the quarterback position. He is an absolute baller. Obviously, Memphis has a lot of returning offensive weapons. And I, I'm kind of with you, man. Tennessee, really an unknown going into the year because, obviously, they kind of got hot towards the end of last season, but they were stumbling to begin the year. So, I, I don't know. I, it's a hard read, but 15 is, is I don't want to call it surprising, but it's definitely something I'm going to be following whenever the season starts. Yeah, man. As soon as SEC East Division starts playing, they're going to get mopped. All right, so... Mm-hmm. We go from there to number 14, Cincy, number 13, Central Florida, number 12, North Carolina, number 11, Auburn, and number 10, Oklahoma State. Where you at with those? So, okay, I, I love I love Cincy and UCF right there. Cincy's got a good squad, man. I like them. 
Obviously, we've talked about UCF in the past. They're getting the quarterback back. They're also potentially getting McKenzie Milton back. There's experience there. I know you're a big Auburn Tigers guy. You touched on them last podcast. So maybe 11 right there is a little bit surprising. But for me, I mean, the highlight here has to be North Carolina because I've touched on it a couple of times. North Carolina is going to basically get a cakewalk in the ACC schedule this season. If everything holds true, they will be able to dodge Clemson. They'll be able to dodge Notre Dame. They'll basically really only have to worry about, like, Virginia Tech and Pitt. And while those are decent quality opponents, I mean, you can't really hurt yourself if you would be facing number 24 and number 19 if you're in the top 12. And obviously with experience coming back at quarterback, Matt Brown's got that program rolling. I really like the Tar Heels to make a deep run this season with a very strong record and skyrocket up the standing. So number 12 is probably a good spot to have them to begin, but they could easily be much higher than that. And then quickly to touch on Oklahoma State, top 10, I like it. I think when you look at the teams above them that we'll get to, that's probably where the Cowboys should be right now. Things will obviously shake out with the rest of those squads, but top 10 for me is where Oklahoma State should be. I will not stand for this Auburn disrespect, for this North Carolina disrespect. I mean, to put Oklahoma State at number 10 is to say that you don't care about the Big 12. That's what that is, right? I mean, to put Auburn behind Oklahoma State. All right, let me let me unpack this. I don't believe that Bo Nix is better than Spencer Sanders, but I do believe that Kalen Newton is better than both of them, all right? Who's behind Spencer Sanders today? Number one. Number two, Cool. You want to give the tailback edge to Chuba Hubbard? That's fine by me. They got three of them at Auburn. We know what they got at North Carolina. And more than that, every time we have conversations about Auburn, people are like, I just don't know how they're going to do this and how they're going to win. To your point about Cincy, anybody that's ever been in a rock fight will tell you what it's like to get hit with a rock. It doesn't feel good. That's how Cincy plays football, right? They, they want to pick up a big rock and they want to lug it at your face. Right? Meanwhile, Auburn's going to be able to watch this trickeration. And how do you get this disrespect when you win your rivalry game against a team that won 11 games and mopped the floor with Michigan in the Citrus Bowl? Meanwhile, who the hell is Oklahoma State beat? They couldn't beat Oklahoma, right? They, they, they tried to get beat down by Iowa State, right? And then you go against an ampersand U team, which I got to believe they're probably going to rank into the top 10 to prove my point that care about the SEC and not a whole hell of a lot else. What else? I mean, no. Put Auburn in that 10 spot or North Carolina. I won't fight you. But the best I could see for Oklahoma State is 12, and that's assuming that Spencer Sanders ain't one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, in the college football like he was last year. So, I, yeah, I'm not with it. I'm, I'm not with it at all. All right. So, number nine, we got Texas. Number eight, there they are. Ampersand U, Texas A&M. Number seven, LSU which I got a problem with. Number six, Notre Dame. And number five, Oklahoma. So Oklahoma moves up a couple of spots thanks to, you know, Ohio State and Penn State not playing football this year, so we think. What do you think about those five? Yeah, so we touched on a little bit last time around. The Texas Texas A&M debate is fascinating. I, I like the fact that they kind of roll with A&M because I, I like Texas A&M, and I, I still feel like Texas kind of has to prove itself right now. And then, for me, when you're looking at the rest of this thing, LSU, like I kind of said last time, I'm not a huge LSU guy going into this year. I mean, obviously, Jamar Chase, he's an extreme talent. But LSU's offensive line, yes, they won the Joe Moore Award, but they were not that good if you look at them statistically. And then they lose a couple of pieces on that offensive line. Miles Brennan is going to have to prove himself quickly, especially with this SEC schedule. And then I just – I don't know, man. I need to see what else they can do defensively with some of those top-tier defensive talent guys gone. And so, as a result, LSU, number seven, I understand it's kind of a name-brand factor here, but I don't know. I'm not a huge LSU guy right now. Notre Dame at six, yeah, I mean, I get it. And, and But for me, OU at number five, that that's going to be the battle, is where will Oklahoma be inside or outside the top or here 24-7 has them at number five. I could exchange them with Florida or Georgia. Obviously, we'll touch on them. But for me, OU at number five could easily change as they try and win another Big 12 championship. I look at this ranking for Ampersand U, 
I look at this ranking for LSU and I say this slander of the ACC and the Big 12 will not stand. Because I could, I could just as easily see Texas in that five spot, right, based on what we know about Kennedy Brooks and how nationally folks talk about Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler, right? But LSU is going to have like 16 brand new faces on the offensive mm-hmm. side, defensive side of the ball. They're going to have a new coordinator and a new scheme on the defensive side of the ball. And now they have Ed Orgeron swimming in Darius Geis who allegedly raped two LSU students, was kicked off of the Washington football team, and was arrested for this. LSU got more problems than most of us, and it's going to have more integrated faces, or excuse me, more new faces than an integrated high school. And yet, you want me to buy stock in LSU at number seven. Yo, man, I could just as easily vault number uh, UNC there. I could vault Auburn there. I can make an argument that Oklahoma State is a better football team than LSU this year. I don't know Miles Brennan. All I know is Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall. That's it, right? I don't know your linebacking core. Not really. Kerry Vincent just opted out, and everybody wants to tell me how they didn't need him in the first place, and I'm going, okay, sure. You're asking Derek Stingley Jr. to carry the load as a true sophomore. Fine, whatever, that's cool. You're asking Jabril Cox to show that he's the dude that you expect him to be at North Dakota State. I just don't buy it at number seven. I'm selling it. Like, I still think they could catch five losses this year, even in a conference-only schedule, right? Now, they get Missouri coming to Tiger Stadium, but you saw what Eli Drinkwitz was able to do at Appalachia State, okay? Eli Drinkwitz is also a disciple of Maldon. You don't think he got a little something-something ready for LSU? Because Maldon had a little something-something ready for LSU, and he was he was there, right? He was a nose hair, from giving them to business. I, you know, the argument that I make is Auburn played LSU closer than anybody else did all, all of last year. Now, Derek Brown is gone. We know about the, the middle, but you know me, man. I'm, I'm going to pick them. And, and I think that Eli Drinkwitz knows what he's doing at Missouri. I've heard good things coming out of Missouri about him, and they look like they want to play a little football. So, number four, we got the Gators. Number three, we got Georgia. Number two, we got Bama. And number one, we have Clemson. I don't see a whole hell of a lot to argue about there. What about you? Me either. And, like, I had, obviously, Oklahoma ahead of Florida just barely. If you would have asked me this question a week ago before the Kennedy Brooks news, I would have probably had Oklahoma ahead of Florida still. But with Kennedy Brooks opting out, I now give the Gators the advantage. I mean, they obviously are returning some nice pieces offensively. Kyle Trask is a very good quarterback some experience in the offensive line and defensively they're going to have some dudes there in the secondary, which is key. And so as a result, if they, I continue to say this, man, if Florida get some of those transfers that they got, because they went out and got some dudes in the portal, if they get all those guys eligible and ready to roll, Florida can make a ton of noise. I still felt like Oklahoma had the advantage, but with the loss of Kennedy Brooks, they slip up one time as they told conference, Florida could easily make a running here. And then, obviously, Georgia, number three, I'm not going to complain. They could easily be number two, in my opinion. Alabama, number two, I'm all for it because that is a loaded squad. It will just roll on the quarterback position and how that pans out. Number one, Clemson, easy for me. I think all in all, this top four, pretty solid, and I don't think you can really bring up any counter arguments to go against it. Nah, man, I'm I'm with you on that, in that Alabama is going to be good with Mac Jones. They could be great with Bryce Young. Kyle Trask is in a prove-it season, not unlike Justin Herbert was a year ago. He beats George in the world's largest cocktail party. I got to believe he represents in the SEC championship game against perhaps an Alabama or an Auburn. I think those are the two best squads coming out of the West, which means, once again, we're talking about rivalry games really laying the foundation for what we expect to be the conference champs and the conference championship is going to mean more this year than it's meant ever in years past. Well, that is Colin Kennedy. Follow him on the Twitters at ckennedy247. That's ckennedy247. Read his work on ouinsider.com where he's keeping us up to date on all the latest offers. He's got Colin's Corner on the VIP board, which is a great feature where he's giving inside scoop he's telling you about his crystal ball predictions and is just a genuinely 
all around and kind human being. Colin, thank you so much. Safe travels out to Richmond, dude. Yes, sir. I always appreciate it, man. Always fun, and I look forward to doing it again, too. All right. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time. Deuces.